Information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence, and ideas for making connections and finding community. You're listening to A to Z Running. And we're back. I'm Zach. And I'm Andy. And we have a great show for you today. Now, we are thoroughly and entirely excited about this episode. Um, We're probably excited about every episode, but we're definitely excited about Mm -hmm. uh, finally being able to deliver on a promise. We've been talking about Adam Hamoka and trying to get him on to share from his expertise as a physical therapist, uh, specifically focusing on endurance athletics. Well, we finally made it work and we're going to be able to feature some of Adam's advice for you all. And just as a note, remember that our hope and Adam's goal with doing this with us is to be able to actually answer some of your specific questions. So even though some of it will be generic and general, um, we do want to hear some of your questions knowing that Adam will actually try to answer them on air for you. So that's the goal with that. But stay tuned. That's going to come up after the main topic and, of course, the world of running. Before we get to it, our main topic today is burnout. And Andy, what was our what was our inspiration for this? Well, I think we've all experienced burnout, right? Uh, my brother-in-law, George Goad, he reached out to me and he suggested this topic because he's been through it. He asked if I've been through it, if Zach's been through it and what we do to deal with it and how we try to prevent it. There's so much there. So we're going to get a little bit scholarly on you today. We're going to bring in some research and a book that I've been reading recently, um, as well as sharing from our own experiences, knowing that burnout is a thing, not just specific to a sport or specific Mm -hmm. to running, but it's a thing that happens everywhere in life in anything we pursue. So relevant to all, and hopefully we can share something helpful for you. All right, let's get started with the world of running. Zach, you've been doing a little bit of chuckling over there. So I'm kind of curious as to what you found to share with us about the world of running today. Okay, I I went down the obscure and interesting route for okay. this week. Um, there are definitely races going on and interesting things happening in races. So we'll certainly come back to some of that another time. But this week, three different... Well, so this first one, this wasn't this week actually, but um, I, I wanted to share it this time because we had other things going on at other times. So Des Linden, many of you are familiar with that witty lady. She's a witty lady. Uh, she is a witty lady. So not only is she a fast runner, but she's she's kind of funny, super sarcastic and funny in her sarcasm. Uh, well, so she tweeted the following tweet, and I quote, So are we just not going to discuss the impact of the running community's carbon fiber footprint? <laughs> End quote. Now, at face value, apparently the Twitter following world seemed to generally think that she was going down the road of environmental activism with this and praising her for acknowledging how wasteful the running community can be. Things like, Mm -hmm. and I'm looking at the replies in her feed, things like, you know, flying to races halfway around the world just for a marathon that seems to be wasteful, throwing out so many shoes, so many shoes that kept coming (laughs) up, so many shoes, and we're just throwing them away. Um, So a number of those things. However, you must understand who posted the tweet. Mm -hmm. This is Des Linden. The obvious joke here is that she said the running community's carbon fiber Fiber. 
footprint. Like the she shoes was not having carbon fiber in them. Nice. So funny. So funny. funny, Des. Um, it's even so funnier that pe- people misunderstood it. it, it I think it was that so makes funny. it more funny. Well-timed, Des. Good timing. All right. So that one was funny, but this next one is inspiring and a, a bit um, surreal. So mm. there was a runner in the Twin Cities 10-mile run. His name uh, is Tyler Moon. So he was running uh, the 10-mile race and wearing on his bib, so you can have a lot of these races allow you to customize your bib. So on his bib, he had the phrase, Jesus saves, and running the 10-mile race. Now, right around mile eight, his heart began beating irregularly. I'm reading from the CBS Minnesota News post, which by the way, we will link as well. So it says his heart began beating irregularly and he collapsed, um, something to the extent of cardiac arrest or some kind of irregularity. So he was on the ground when a fellow runner racer, uh, stopped who just, by the way, happens to be a registered nurse anesthetist stopped and began administering CPR. And of course, uh, being especially a trained professional, um, did so until paramedics arrived and, you know, certainly crediting this person with having saved the man's life. Um, cause he did live. Now here is the surreality. The person who saved Tyler's life is name is Jesus Bueno. What? His name was Jesus. What? Not even kidding. And No way. And Tyler's bib said Jesus saves. That does not happen every day, folks. Wow. That's a great story. What a cool story. All right. So, Andy, you're up next. We've got from Flow Track, of course, the great source of track and cross country. Flow Track posted an article that is the top 15, in their opinion, top 15 best names for cross country meet and invitationals. So, Andy, what were some of your favorites? I've been chuckling as well because there are a lot of funny ones on here. So one of them was running with the cows, I think. Yeah, running of the cows. For those who are not quite ready for running with the bulls, consider cows. I That's thought that great. was funny. All right. So one of my favorites was the Sasquatch invite. And of course, very clever caption. Not clear if this is a real event, but plenty claim to have seen it. That's funny. That's good stuff. Tornado Watch Invitational. This is great. It says in the caption, this race gets canceled every year. <laughs> <laughs> Why would and you these are like real event names. <laughs> I think it'd be great. Like we've never, you know, put on an event, but it would be fun to have a clever name for one. And we did learn something new in reading this article that there is a conference in Geneva, New York, that is called the Cross Country Only Conference. I'm not oh. sure if that means they don't have any other sports mm. or they don't do track or perhaps it's just a reference to something like maybe an inside joke that none of us even understand right all right well anything else andy uh, there's probably a lot else there is so much else but so we can't much. get to it all today so let's wrap it up for the world of running and we'll be back with more race information and results for you soon As mentioned, our main topic for this episode is burnout and trying to address both um, what proactively, what to do to try to prevent and stave off burnout, 
in, in any areas of your life, um, but certainly running. And also um, what to do when you're in the midst of burnout. What are your options at that point or what are some things that uh, might be able to help? So we're going to try to get into some of that here. We've both got a couple of different kinds of things we want to share. But I think before we do, um, just giving a little bit of our experiences with the topic of burnout it certainly could be helpful. And so you understand where we're coming from with this. Um, and the first thing that I wanted to just mention, Andy, is um, for both of us, we've both been competing somewhat aggressively, training and competing in distance running somewhat aggressively for now over 20 years. Wow, we're old. We're not Snap. old. We're not old. We just started that young. old. <laughs> And I'll, I'll, I'll offer just a brief comparison, too, in a moment with a friend of mine who's um, been at this for some time as well. But um, so we both started uh, very young, uh, middle school, and certainly for you, middle school, competing aggressively. You were, you were at the high end of competition already then and continued to be at the high end of competition uh, for the rest of your life so far. I mean, it, so in that it's all sense, relative, but yeah, yeah, right. But, but, uh, it, certainly aggressively pursuing competitive running now for over 20 years. Um, and that's by itself, that's an uncommon thing, um, in our sport in a lot of ways. It's just, you just don't tend to see people who start that young continue on and on. Um, and so there's a dynamic there that we want to address. And for me, um, not quite as seamless of a time. I've had a number of different times throughout these 20 years where I may or may not have been um, as interested in trying to be a runner anymore. So I'll get into that in just a moment. Um, and then I want to just throw a contrast out there where I have a friend whose entire family, um, this is Jed Christensen again, uh, so his whole family started their kids running very early just as like a family activity. Like it's literally what they did together all the time. You know, they'd go down to the track and run 400 repeats for family time. I think that's cool. It is cool. And it wasn't like, like his parents weren't, uh, you know, like driving them to succeed and be the very best all the time. They just wanted them to, to do it. It was, a, it was a fun thing they did. When they did family vacations, they went to a race. Um, and that was just kind of how it went. And uh, Jed ran, he, he tells the story, he ran his first marathon at eight years old. Um, and he wasn't, supposed to run a marathon his parents didn't say you have to run a marathon he was just running with his sister and he was only supposed to run like maybe half of it and he just decided to finish it and uh now of course holds the eight-year-old marathon record for the american record i didn't know that was only is are there any other competitors i don't know if anyone else has done it Uh, (laughs) but he's also actually going for a world record here of the uh, running the marathon across the most number of decades yeah. So he's run a marathon every 10 years at least of his life since he was under 10 years old. That's pretty cool. That's really neat. Um, so Jed's another example of someone who you know has some interesting take on some of these things. So I'll bring in a couple of things that he's mentioned to me as well. Um, first, just uh, some background then on my, my own story with burnout. So I... Um, Ran in middle school, but then didn't run right away in high school. I ran track, but I didn't run cross country and didn't really want to run track um, very much. I didn't like it. So after freshman year running track, I didn't run sophomore year. And all of it was really coming down to like running just wasn't an interesting experience for me. Um, you know, I just wanted to do something that was more exciting, more interesting. And so when running really became my sport, a large part of why is because I found ways that it was exciting and interesting for me. I think when you became competitive, is that a correct observation? I have always been motivated by, um, yeah, by competition and wanting to compete and win. Yeah. 
not that I've been winning all the time, but, <laughs> but I want to, and, and, and certainly trying to pursue that goal. And so, um, it came along then in 2014, I, I, I tell it like this. I literally quit running in 2014 for like a week. Um, so here's what happened. I, I was chasing the Olympic standards for the, for the steeplechase for track and field. And it wasn't going well. I wasn't uh, really achieving the things that I thought I could and wasn't seeing much growth and improvement. In fact, I was sliding backward a couple of years in a row in the event. And so then my coach was at the time Q was coaching me and he was like, okay, let's just, you know, keep, let's try some other things. So I I was moving up in distance. I, I got up as, as far as a half marathon in 2014. I ran a half in 2013 and 2014 and decently fast. Um, but I was just seeing this like never ending pursuit of empty goals and just kind of felt like, you know, maybe there's something exciting about just calling it quits and just being a casual runner at some point later on in life mm-hmm. was kind of my thought. So I told people that that's what I was thinking. And lo and behold, Jed Christensen, I mentioned his name would come up again. Um, Jed said to me, he said, okay, there's something you have not tried yet. And of course, you know what Jed's going to tell me. He told me to try the marathon. And so he gave me, it was 2014 in December of that year. And he gave me until fall of 2015. He said, run the Chicago marathon with me. He was going to do it too. Run the Chicago marathon. Train as though you're going to try to run the Olympic trials qualifying standard. At the time, it was 218. And um, and just see what happens. And his whole point was, you haven't done that yet. And it's only nine months. Just see what happens. And I will say the story ends with, I missed the goal. I ran 218.26 that year in the Chicago Marathon, and the time was 218 flat. So I missed it. And for me, it was like, okay, that's a sign. I've got to be done. And then two months later, they changed the standard, and uh, and I got crazy. in. That so doesn't it, happen, It does doesn't. It? That's it's never happened. Bizarre. So, of course, that tells me, well, maybe, maybe, just maybe... But I was, I was an Olympic trials qualifier, and that gave me a different sense of myself in the sport as well, and um, just kind of a new excitement. I mentioned the excitement, and it did just that. So in my experience, I need to mention something positive a coach did for me, because I think a lot of you that are out there are coaches or your parents of athletes as well, or maybe that you're in school currently and you could use this advice too. But my coach, Dave Hodgkinson, in high school, I wanted to press into mileage more. I was asking him to, because some of my other teammates were, and he told me, Andy, I want you to be a lifetime runner. I want you to want to run the rest of your life. And at the time, I didn't really understand what that meant. I was really ambitious and I was kind of annoyed that I couldn't do the kind of training that the other ladies were doing. But here I am now into my 30s and I'm still getting to experience the thrill of sometimes running even PRs. But beyond that, I'm not burned out from the sport yet. And I think in part to him telling me that and then also not overtraining me. Yeah, such such an insightful um, position for a high school coach to to think for your long term running health for sure. I have experienced burnout though, and that's been more in my emotional burnout in relationships. 
Um, I, I have some anxiety. So I've had times of my life where I've experienced what I think is akin to the burnout feeling. So burnout is described as emotional and physical fatigue. And I think that also sounds a little bit like depression. So I think a lot of us have been in that spot, whether it's because of life circumstances, because of sport, because of something else that's going on in our life, that that feeling of exhaustion in your physical body and in your emotions, I think happens to us all. Yeah, certainly. So, Andy, carry on for us then down that path of what, what, how, what do we do? How do we prevent? How do we proactively avoid burnout? Well, I think one of the things that has kept me in the love of running is what I've mentioned over and over, and it's community, it's friends, it's family, it's Zach, it's the community that surrounds running. And I did mention it in the blog post this week. You can find that. It's called Five Things Every Runner Needs to Start. And cultivating friendships helps deepen our sense of purpose. And that in and of itself can help us overcome that feeling of burnout. It brings a little joy and hope to our running and that's, and that's great, yes. Um, there is, however, a kind of a cautionary thing here. Um, when you make your activity social or when you allow some of your inspiration and encouragement to come from others, um, which is simply that it can, it can create kind of a sense of external motivation, external rewards, driving your interests. And these things are not things you can control. And there's a, the danger there that says, you know, what if someone doesn't affirm me the way that I wanted them to in a particular time? Or what if someone else, you know, so I'm in this great community and then other people experience burnout and they quit, you know, things like that. And there's some real danger there. So it's a, it's a keen balance of understanding myself and my my pursuits and why I'm interested and invested um, and then enjoying that with other people and bringing other people into that fold but not depending on them for that motivation that's really good insight we actually didn't talk about this beforehand and I'm I'm feeling very uh, enlightened at the moment because I get emotional burnout so I think that that is something to speak into yeah and that generally happens in in two different ways one is just rewards which is like you know af- affirmation from other people and things like that and the other is fear you know i don't want to disappoint or let down my community my mm-hmm. peers and neither of those are a good kind of motivation but we'll come back to that in a moment so what yeah what's your next one because i'm an emotional person part of it is facing anxiety and fear for me they're so heavy they weigh on me i can feel it when i run i'm pretty sensitive to my emotions and I can tell when something's bothering me. So when I take on my anxiety or I allow it to fester or fear to fester, I definitely am less likely to want to run or exercise or do much of any activity really. And joy, as cheesy as it sounds, is light. It is. Taking on a lighter spirit and dropping those burdens down and running without those heavy, heavy burdens. And I, on the topic of fear then, so I'm, I'm going to throw some science in here at you. Is, is that all right, Andy? Sure. Add I haven't science. heard it yet. So um, Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus wrote The Passion Paradox. And this is the book that I'm going to reference a number of times here and have already brought up a couple of things actually. Um, but they wrote about fear as a part of this this pursuit of passion and the idea that fear can be a powerful motivator. We all know that we've seen, you know, people say that kind of thing all the time. Um, 
they actually did a study. This is an incredible study where they just literally had people. First, they asked them, are they motivated by fear or, you know, the fear of failure or the desire to win was essentially the question. And then they split them into two groups based on how they answered. And the group with the desire to win, they would give them like, like, you know, so everyone basically had a squeezer thing, you know, those hand strength tests. And it was like, um, give you a scenario where you're, you know, you're, inspired you're motivated you're gonna win or something like that and then give you a scenario where you're going to lose and you know the risk is high that you might lose and the people who are motivated by the desire to win their strength output in their hand just basic measurement of their strength output did not change regardless of what scenario they gave them but those who said they were motivated by the fear of failure when they gave them a scenario where they were likely to fail or they were potentially failing and then had them squeeze the thing again their strength output significantly rose for those people. Oh. Like just a simple test That's not of what I hoped for. But here's the problem, and this is the key here, is we know that fear can be a powerful motivator short term, but it always produces burnout long term. And thus the consequence of if I'm constantly motivated by fear and I don't notice or I don't address that, it will pay back or take back its payments at some point. Wow. That's interesting. So variety, going from that solemn note of fear, let's let's add some variety to avoid burnout, like routes, changing up your route for the day. If you usually go the same way every day, change it up, drive someplace, see something pretty, that always helps. Race distance, changing up how you're training for different race distances. In fact, I'm already planning proactively that after the marathon, I'm going to focus on some shorter distances. And then cross training. Cross training is always fun. Zach loves cross training. What are you doing right now, Zach? Yeah, so this is key for me. Um, I, I was just talking with Joe Nemec uh, a couple of days ago. He is one who ran with me at the Chicago Marathon. We were both trying to hit the standard. and cool we, guy. Both, we both missed it. Yeah, great guy, Joe. Um, too bad, you know, he's training in South Carolina and we can't run together. <laughs> Come to so Michigan. He, his parents lived nearby, so he was visiting. We ran together. Um, I felt terrible, by the way. If any of you saw my Strava post, I am not ready to run yet. So I'm, I'm back on the bike. But that's just it. I, I love cross-training, and I was talking with Joe about this. Um, for me, at this point, to identify what I need to do to avoid burnout, the key for me is to change the kind of activity for a, a period of time. So I, in the last couple of years now, I've been riding the bike for a month, two, sometimes three months um, with very little, if none, running. Uh, it especially helps that we've got Michigan winters to deal with. And so I children, just I ride. Children to deal with. <laughs> There's that. So I just ride my bike in the basement during that time. And that's, by the way, a, a really boring thing, too. But I'm only doing it a couple of months and then I'm back out running on the street. And we haven't been watching Netflix, so you can get your fill. Uh, wa- watching Netflix? Well, shows. I don't watch shows when I'm riding. No. I'm on Zwift. I can't watch shows. I got I to gotta compete. See, motivation for him, <laughs> it's got to be a competition. It really is. And that was actually a friend of mine uh, introduced me to Zwift when I first thought about st- starting riding in the basement on the trainer. And he was like, you got you to gotta do this. And he was so right. I don't know if he knew me and that's why he recommended it. He knows you pretty well. It's great. So I'm, I'm getting in there and I'm like doing these huge VO2 max workouts, just trying to keep up with all these, you know, real deal cyclists. So we need to be thanking Josh Moderate for introducing you to that. So yeah. That you, thanks, Josh. Yeah. Yeah, so the variety piece is, it's so important um, because especially for distance runners, the sport itself is pure monotony. We are a monotonous 
sport. And so we we need to look for opportunity for variety. It's it's not a bad thing. And I was just talking to Andy about this after the trials in February. I'm going to encourage her to uh, change her training for a bit for a year or two and just race for fun. Find the race distances, events, and anything else that just sounds fun and interesting and do it. If I can win a pie in a 5K, I want to do that. Yes, we are definitely going north to try to win cherries and chocolate-covered cherries and cherry pies in I'm races. I'm very motivated by food prizes. Did you guys not know that Traverse City has tons of races that give you food? I love it. It's so good. Come to Michigan, all of you non-Michigan folks. Join us in Michigan. Let That's us know if you come true. race here. So I, I think there is, there's a key element to that. And I told Joe the same thing. Um, I think post-marathon, I've talked about just that slump that I certainly experienced. And I know I'm not the only one. Um, how do I get by that or how do I get beyond that? Well, first, I just don't run for a little bit. And I'm totally okay with that. Like it, I know that I'm not running for a little bit because eventually I'll get back into it and that'll be fine. Um, but also... I, I just do fun stuff for a while. I don't train for a particular goal. I don't try to run the next big race. Um, you know, it was three years between marathons for me most recently because I just didn't want to do another one. I wanted to do something more fun. So that said, the last one that I wanted to add um, and just in a couple of these tangible or these practical things is just planning downtime and intentionally planning downtime. So Ryan Hall writes a lot about the six-day training week. That's what he has Sarah Hall doing. And if you don't know, Ryan coaches his wife, Sarah, and Sarah's been wildly successful in recent years. Um, And the craziest thing about that is she races constantly. Yeah, she's doing New York. But yeah, she races more than any other marathoner out there by far. Um, and not just racing like here and there, like she's racing big events over and over and over. And really fast. And really fast. She did the Berlin Marathon in September. She's doubling back two months later on the New York Marathon in November. Um, and she just does that. Last time she did that, she PR'd in both of them. Wow. So. On the rise. On the rise. But but here's Ryan's thing, right? She does a six-day training week. She does not run seven days a week ever. And um, it's the idea of just intentionally planning regular downtime. And Nick Willis writes about this too because he also does a six-day training week. And he says, for me, it's it's mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual recovery. And he mm-hmm. needs all of that. And Nick Willis is like 36 years old and still you know, world in class He's in it. middle distance runner. Yeah. That does not happen much. So that's important. Um, the other side of it is just periodic downtime. And I think that that's always a good thing to do. Um, I see a lot of marathoners out there who jump back on, you know, to running a couple of days later, week later, sometimes even less. And um, I just always want to encourage careful intent behind that downtime you do or do not take. And if you don't take it, um, know the potential consequences of that because your body needs that rest and recovery a lot of the time. But even if your body doesn't, there's other parts of you that can benefit from an intentional downtime. So this is probably a good transition into a little bit of the material from the book that I just wanted to really share on the topic. Um, Magnus and Stolberg really get into this in a lot of different ways and angles, and they're writing about passion. Um, It just so happens that so many distance runners are by nature passionate people. Yeah. It kind of needs to be the case in a lot of ways. If you're just going to go out there for hours on end and just trudge and run, that's good. Um, so they write a lot about the topic and from many different angles. But one of the key dynamics here is they write about this all-in mindset, this all-in method. And a lot of us view that as potentially negative. You know, you go all in on something and you're like sacrificing life and relationships and all that kind of stuff. Um, and in so many ways, that kind of pursuit of, of a goal inevitably eventually results in burnout. Mm -hmm. Um, And they they say that part of that, you can avoid that simply by just 
pursuing incremental all in. You know, I'm, I'm all in, but I'm not all in all the time for everything that I'm doing in every way. I'm all in in certain dynamics with intent and I'm measuring my pursuit over time. That's just more sustainable. It's a healthier way to pursue your passions. And if you're all in and you're neglecting other things like relationships and you find yourself alone and discouraged, I can see where that also would feed into a negative mentality. Yeah, it definitely can. And so that that community piece we were talking about earlier makes a difference with something like that, just avoiding isolation, whether it's in your own mind or actually and socially. Now, here's the point that they make. So you're if you're always pursuing a goal all the time, I have this goal in front of me, I'm always chasing. And, you know, whether that's I accomplish the goal, so now I have a new goal, or I'm not accomplishing the goal, and I'm just continually chasing it all the time. Uh, people often tend to struggle to enjoy success in that sense, because there's always the goal. Um, and then we also tend to sacrifice for that goal in a lot of different ways because we think the goal is a worthy thing and whether or not it is. So that by itself is exhausting. Um, and as well then, or not as well, but opposed to that is the idea that you can, in finding happiness, you can actually influence your neutral state. Your neutral state doesn't have to be unhappy. You can actually be happy as a state of existence. Um, and Andy mentioned, you, you mentioned joy and joy is light. Um, and joy is the kind of thing that you can actually exist in without any kind of external you know, substance. And one of the ways, and this is the real practical thing that they get into in the book, uh, they talk about the mastery mindset. So my mindset influences this experience. And here's the quote I want to read. This is really something. Um, they write, someone who embodies the mastery mindset judges herself based not on whether she accomplishes her specific goal, but rather on how well she executes her process. Let that sink in a moment. Hmm. So the idea here is my mastery comes from my sense of how well I'm pursuing. Remember Andy's comment in the blog post, training in with excellence, pursuing excellence in your training. That's the concept here of just simply enjoying, but not, not necessarily just enjoying, but but feeling optimistic and positive because of how well I pursue a goal. And they even go on to say that, um, you know, it's, it's about, it's not about being the best, but about being the best at getting better. Wow. Yeah. Great concepts. It great is a great concepts. concept. So one of the key things here is just self-awareness and all of this. Like I need to really look at myself and think about that. Um, really reflect on how I am viewing my goals, my accomplishments, and what I'm doing to try to achieve those versus how I'm enjoying the process itself. Now, we wrote a while ago about how goals are fragile and what we can do to make goals and objectives that last. And some of the things on my list were processing life, enjoying the outdoors, praying to God, connecting with friends, feeling strong, continuously improving, uh, discovering who I am and having those me times where I'm processing life and also achieving difficult tasks. So these are all things that part of that process that we were talking about. Those are some tangible things that I can redirect my thoughts to and goals that I can make as part of that excellent process that we go through to try to achieve our goals. That's great. So this final piece then is what to do when feeling burnout or even potentially when I'm burnt out. What do I do now? 
Um, and I want to make, this is kind of an existential reflection for you, so bear with us a moment, but I want to make a comment here because this is where I think Stolberg and Magnus in the book Passion Paradox don't quite nail it. Here's what they, they write on the topic. They say that a lot of this for many of us has to do with an identity thing. We are crafting our identity around this pursuit, this passion. So for those of us who are runners in this instance, that tends to be, you know, I am a runner. I even just said it, those of us who are runners. I'm a runner. That's a part of my identity as I'm crafting it and pursuing it. Um, And I'll give just a quick example here. You see athletes retiring from a sport and often struggling with the what to do now kind of thing. Shailene Flanagan just retired from running. So it's it's a big question. I'm interested in seeing how she pursues her life as a not pro highly successful runner all the time. You know, what does that look like for her? Um, but here's the thing. Um, they write about the idea that your identity, uh, is something that you can change. You can craft and recraft and mold and such. And they follow the point that identities probably for all of us are always in flux throughout our lives. Now with that point, I do agree to the extent that there's always something happening and changing in our life that's reforming our identity. For example, um, now currently in my life, I am a husband, father, you know, brother, son, all of those kinds of things. Well, I wasn't a father for my entire life. So that's something about my identity that certainly shifted. Um, I wasn't a husband for my entire life, although we're getting close to being able to say most. most. (laughs) That's exciting. Um, So no, we didn't get married when we were 15 years old. No. Uh, when but, we were 20, but yeah, so close yeah to 17 years. I mean, 20. Yeah. <laughs> well, so here's the, here's the thing. And this is kind of my, just my existential reflection and then we'll move on. But, um, if your identity is something that's connected to the things that you're pursuing or the ways you're defining yourself in contrast with the world around you, your internal mindset and, or the people in your life, you're doing it wrong. Because your identity must be cemented in something better, something bigger, something more important than yourself or the people around you. Because all of those things are changing all the time. And the most likely outcome is my identity will crumble at some point in some way. I think I'm a good father until something happens that shows me maybe I wasn't as good of a father. And then what happens to me? My identity crumbles. What if Andy leaves me? Now, Andy, I'm I'm sorry to say the what if, but that happens. So if I'm a husband and then my spouse leaves me, now what? My identity is crumbling. And as so long as my identity is wrapped only into those things, it will always be something fragile and it doesn't need to be. So naturally you can guess, uh, you know, the, the outcomes, these things tend to get into then religion and spirituality and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and there's a reason for that because those things are grounded. They're anchored in something beyond myself. And that's important. Um, now that's the point that they carry on here, which is when I'm feeling burnout, when I'm feeling, when I am burned out, what are the things that I can do? And the, the ultimate outcome here is sometimes we do need to move on from a passion or pursuit. That doesn't mean an actual end to the passion, but, um, you know, an example here would be for me, let's say right now I say, okay, maybe I don't want to be a marathoner anymore. Maybe the marathon isn't the thing I want to really pursue in a high goal. I can, I can move on from that passion. That doesn't mean I'm done running, but maybe that means I'm going to try other dynamics within the sport or a different element of endurance sports in general. And that's an acceptable thing. That is sometimes the inevitable outcome of burnout, but it isn't always an option. You think about if you're burnt out in something that's like, you know, something you'd still need to engage in in your life, like your job or, you know, some of those other kinds of things. Um, 
what then? What can we do? So the first and most important thing that I think about with this is to just step away and take a break in in some simple capacity. Rest is important in every sense. Get a babysitter. <laughs> Get a babysitter so you can take a break from being a parent. That's a great example. Is that yeah. why pe- is that is that why we have babysitters and people like go on dates? We, and stuff? we should do that soon. That'd be good. I remember when we used to go on dates. <laughs> Those were good times. Um, so that's it. That's exactly it. Step away. Take a break. You know, when you're feeling burnt out in your job, take your vacation time. And if you don't have vacation time, um, find a way to still take a break because because you may need it. And that's why I love taking two, three weeks completely off after a marathon. And then when I'm starting to get back into things, I do it cross training and I don't even try to run for a while, but I'm going to come back to it with renewed energy and interest. I think one of the reasons I haven't had significant burnout in running is because I've had forced breaks with pregnancy. So I had to take that time off because I had difficult pregnancies. So as I'm processing all of this, I, I do think taking time off of running has been beneficial to me, even though it wasn't intentional. Yeah. So another side of that is, um, especially in the scenario where I'm experiencing burnout, but I need to stay engaged, um, especially like an example of if I'm in the middle of a training cycle for a big goal and I'm feeling burnt out, how do I stay engaged even though I'm already you know, kind of over the line in a sense? And one great piece of advice, and this comes back from uh, Stolberg and Magnus in, in The Passion Paradox, is seeking new perspectives. Get someone else's input. Um, you know, so this is where that running community can be so vital in these kinds of things. Like hear someone else's opinion or see someone else's experience. Like get outside yourself and see it from another angle. That's really good advice. It is. It's not mine, but I'm glad <laughs> to share it with you. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. And there's something practical. You can think about some of the things that actually weigh you down, start really paying attention to yourself. So the watch, we talk about this. I think it's in the running community that sometimes we're really fixed to our watches. You're feeling burnout. Leave your watch at home. Absolutely. So in summary, um, we certainly have experienced some dynamics here. Um, and I think can speak from some of that, but some great advice then as well, just on, you know, how do you avoid burnout? And, um, I, I love the idea of variety and community, like change things up, try something new or try something in different ways, have new perspectives, certainly check in with community. Those are great ways to do it. For our long anticipated expert, anticipated. <laughs> expert advice section, we have Adam Hamalka, who we have mentioned many, many, many times because we believe that we should give honor where honor is due. And I am fully convinced that he's the reason I was able to run at the Chicago Marathon with two hip labrum tears. Now, he helps people with a lot of things, but he specializes in endurance sports at Endurance Rehabilitation in Ada, Michigan. Yeah, so we'll include some links to his material so that if you want to follow up with him, a quick email, phone number, that kind of stuff. Um, but just, you know, the background on all of this. So we met Adam, it, it was a good four years ago now, four or five years ago now, um, when he was working with a different group at the time. But um, just seeing immediately, he articulated to us, you know, his just his passion for supporting distance runners and wanting to really focus on that. And so we've actually been with Adam through that period when he started his own thing and opened Endurance Rehab and now working um, 
um, with so many different athletes and different levels and getting to support, you know, everything from the middle school runner up through, he, he works with Dathan Ritzenheim, and he supports at Olympians and Dathan's elites, uh, you know, he works with some of them. And um, so just, you know, a lot going on there that brings some great expert advice for runners. And so that's why we wanted to do this segment. And that's what we're going to bring to you here with Adam Homolka. Adam, thanks so much for talking to us and for sharing your infinite wisdom for for distance <laughs> runners. Um, maybe not infinite, but for, certainly for sharing your wisdom. So one of the first things that we want to try to do as we're talking with you is is to get from you examples of things that you're seeing and dealing with as you're working with endurance athletes. Um, so the first question is, what are some of the most common problems? What are the common injuries or injury areas that you see? Sure. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to be able to talk and babble on about running. It's what I get to do all day long and and enjoy doing it. Um, And it's always a lot easier to kind of tell people how to run and and how to train than it is actually do it yourself. So I like to live vicariously through everyone and uh, have them run all the hard miles and me just help fix them and and put them back together. Well, it seems to me you do a pretty good job of that. I keep trying, that's for sure. (laughs) Thanks. Um, I think one of the, the biggest things that I see with injuries with running is that there's a lot of weakness and instability in people's pelvis and hips and and low back, all the the core, which everyone always talks about. Um, And that's a really broad term uh, for something that can cause so many different injuries. So the biggest thing that I do see is just an overall instability of the pelvic bones. There's three major bones to the pelvis, which then connect into the hips. And if those three bones are out of position in any way, it changes the way that your hips move, which then changes the way that your knees and your ankles and your feet and, and all the way up into your, your neck, really, how all those joint systems can fall out of whack and have you start creating compensatory movements, uh, poor movement patterns, weaknesses. And so um, that's usually the first place that I start when I have someone coming in that uh, has some chronic overuse injury. So that is typically the core root of the injury system that's going to be uh, evolving as people continue to run. Um, The pelvic instability is going to come from fatigue, from weakness, and then uh, starts to translate down the legs and it's going to end up causing um, sacroiliac joint dysfunction and pain. It can lead into um, IT band tendonitis patellar tendonitis, the runner's knee, you know, all those common terms that a, a lot of us have had some degree of pain with in the past. And so um, just really being able to focus on pelvic stability, hip strength, and muscle activation up in the core muscle groups tends to give you a great foundation so that the rest of your uh, systems can move, your arms can move well, uh, your legs can move well, your legs can do what they're supposed to do, move you and not necessarily try to stabilize your trunk as well. Yeah, I know even like uh, when we're working kind of in an ongoing capacity, um, a lot of times just as I'm starting to express, you know, things aren't feeling quite right or great in a particular time, you're often doing things like, you know, checking my my pelvis, uh, you know, if it's twisted or something, like if it's torqued, that ha- that's happened quite a bit with me, or even just checking like hip strength. Um, th- those are examples of kind of ways that you try to identify if there's something there that's off. Yeah, that's right. So... We always, like I explained to people, your pelvis, uh, those three bones, they're the foundation to your body, you know, much like the foundation to your house is if you have cracks in the foundation of your house, you're going to end up having cracks 
in the corner of your window on the second story of your home. You can continue to drywall over that crack, but simply it's going to continue to stay cracked if the foundation of the house is never put back together and solidified. So um, you know, like working with you, as you move into higher volume, higher intensity uh, workouts, you're going to get to different levels of fatigue or you're going to be running on different surfaces that challenge your balance. Um, maybe you're running on a crown road where you know, eventually you have one leg that's shorter than the other because of the, the curve of the road. Um, or you happen to slip on some wet leaves out on the White Pine Trail at this point and it just kind of jolts you and throws some of your bones out of position. You don't necessarily feel it at that time because you're nice and warm and you're ready to get moving still, um, get back into your rhythm and just keep going. But once your body starts to cool back down and those muscles and ligaments start to tighten back up, that's when you'll start to notice the pain and through your low back or the stiffness within one hip or that tugging sensation in your hamstring that you just can't stretch out. And those are all some really good signs that lead me right back to the pelvis to say something's not right where all these muscles connect. And so let's get the bones in the right position first and then start seeing what else is going to be irritated because that, that foundation was not in the correct position. So here we are running in Michigan and winter's approaching. So we're going to, I'm imagine seeing kind of an uptick in our own running, you know, I'm causing problems potentially in my stability in my hips and my pelvis because we're running on ice and snow and some of that kind of thing too. Yeah, that's right. You know, you're starting to run on more challenging surfaces. It's not nice and dry and sunny anymore. And now we've got leaves and it's damp and you don't know what's underneath the leaves. Is there a crack under there? Is there a, a pothole in the Michigan roads? that's being covered up. Um, is there some ice? Is there early morning dew that you're just not used to? Um, and once you start to identify those things, then even your stride starts changing. You know, your, your stride starts to turn over a little bit quicker. That cadence increases. Um, your stride length starts to change a little bit more as well. So your body has to adapt to those changes. Uh, so your muscles are just moving in a slightly different position. But when you do that for six to 10 or 26 miles, whatever it is that you're doing, that repetitiveness tends to just wear and tear until your body can truly adjust. So it's, it's an ongoing process, especially in Michigan, since we go through so many different seasons that, uh, the surface that you're running on is always going to be changing. Um, the way that you move and protect yourself in those situations is going to be changing, which then causes your muscles to have to act and work a whole lot differently all throughout the year. So, uh, get this season to adapt and change, um, as everything looks a little bit better underneath your feet. And then also have to adapt and change as the surfaces get to be a little bit worse underneath your feet. So the real message here is be attentive to your hips and pelvic, your foundation. Make sure that we're doing the kind of work we need to do to keep that strong and mobile, but also um, just being mindful of the things that can influence it negatively. Yeah, that's correct. Keep that foundation strong and everything else should take care of itself. Great, thanks again, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm not the only one with all those hip issues. Uh, no, this is kind it, of comforting. We, but we're not the only ones because yeah. clearly, you know, both of us have tons of problems. Actually, as I was talking with Adam, I'm sitting there just laughing because I'm like, man, this is like all the stuff that he's finding out about me as we're working together. And he's <laughs> like, you have terrible hips. He actually told me recently that my pelvis is one of the weirdest pelvises. People don't need to know this. They, they don't need just, to know. 
it's a pelvis. It's just a bone. So we we appreciated that from Adam. Um, Many of you will uh, lament that he shared some problems, but he didn't give any solutions. That's because that's coming next week. So stay tuned for the second part to my conversation with Adam. So what can we do about these common problems that just about every runner tends to experience to some degree? Thanks so much for joining us again here at A to Z Running. You all have been very generous with your ratings and for your encouragement. A lot of you have sent us messages. So we thank you for that. We would love to hear some suggestions, some questions for Adam. You can find oh, yeah. us. yeah, the questions yeah. for Adam. Yeah, we almost forgot about that. No, we didn't. We said oh. it earlier. That's right. Give us questions yes, to ask Adam because he please. wants to answer them. Your questions on air. So you can find us at a to z running.com, of course. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook and Zach on Strava. Sounds good. Well, we'll see you next time. Bye.